and we'll read that parable again before we look at it in more depth. It's on page 1046, if you've got the church Bibles. This is the parable of the barren fig tree. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree, planted it in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilizes it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Here's where we're going this morning. I want to take just these three words. One more year. And I want to take those three words, one more year, and impress them upon us. And it has been my prayer that God's Spirit would come and almost massage them deep into our soul so that as we leave this morning, two things would have happened. On the one hand, that we would fear God more. That these words, one more year, would give us a bigger view of God, make us more rightly terrified of Him. But on the other hand, that these words, one more year, would actually make God all the more precious to us. That as well as being fearful, there would be a joy that we would leave, because of these three words, one more year, we would love Him more, treasure Him more. And delight more in his glory. That is my hope. Because in these words, one more year, there is both a seriously strong warning, but also a glorious glimmer of grace and of hope. So let me pray as we think about these words. Our Father, uh, we are tired, some of us. All of our hearts are sinful and corrupted and hard. And so we pray. Please soften us that we might hear your words and that we might do what it says. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time of year is a catalyst for the types of conversations that say, where are you going to be one year from now? This time next year, where are you going to be? For some of us, they can be conversations of great excitement, great hope. Uh, so, a few people have come up to me in the last couple of days and said, this year from, one year from now, you'll have been married for seven months. Uh, maybe for you, it's a new baby boy or a baby girl that's due. Maybe it's a new house, a new job. Uh, one year from now can be great excitement. You think of Del Boy from Only Fools and Horses? Rodney, this time next year, we could be millionaires. There is that excitement about it. For others, there might be great anxiety. There might be some fear and trepidation. So in the last few days, quite a few people have come up to me and said, Andy, this time next year, you will have been married for seven months. There is that, isn't there? Maybe for you it is more serious than that. Maybe it is great anxiety. I don't know if I'm going to get the grades I need to get into uni. Maybe it's, I don't know if I'm going to get that graduate job. Maybe it's, I don't know if my marriage is going to survive to the end of next year. I, I don't know where my illness will have progressed to in a year's time. One more year. What this 
parable does for us is actually present us with two possibilities that are far more pressing, far more important than a marriage, a job, a degree, even an illness, and even your life. The parable lays before us the warning of an axe and the hope of a fruit basket and says, well, one year from now, which one of these two possibilities will it be? And the pressing thing about today is that one year from now depends to some degree on how you react to this parable this morning. There is a seriousness to this parable because it does start with the warning of an axe. The parable flows pretty straightforward, doesn't it? There is a man, he owns a vineyard. He plants a fig tree. He goes one year, two year, third year, still no fruit. And so you see his analysis? Well, not only is it useless, but actually it's harmful. Why should it use up the soil for other trees? And so his conclusion is clear. Cut it down. The parable could rightfully end at that point. The owner of the vineyard has every right to say, cut it down. That's enough. The tree deserves not another day. It deserves not his patience. It is his right, and he would be just to just, fine, cut it down. It's useless and it's harmful. Amazingly, though, he hears the plea of this man. Listen, one more year. This parable amazingly portraits for us God's patience for those who are fruitless. God's patience, his gracious patience to those who do not deserve it. The fig tree is portraying the nation of Israel. And God has come in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are barren, fruitless, nothing. All they deserve to hear is cut it down. And yet amazingly, Like a fig tree that deserves no second chance, Israel as a nation is getting one more year. To some degree, that is the story of Scripture, isn't it? We had a guy called Doogie who came to speak at our Youth Weekend Away last year. And Doogie was asked the question, what is your favorite chapter of Scripture? And Doogie replied, every single chapter after Genesis 3, because not one of them deserves to be there. That's the point, isn't it? When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and God came looking for fruit but found nothing but rebellion, he justly, he rightly could have said, cut it down. Game over for humanity. That's it. Adam and Eve deserved not his patience. And yet amazingly, in his grace, he said, as it were, one more year. His wrath was deferred. His Uh, punishment was delayed so that he might set in motion a plan of salvation for his people. God is patient. That is undeserved. Can you imagine if God was not patient? If at Genesis 3 he said, cut it down. Bible in a year would be dead easy. (laughs) You'd have three chapters. It'd be like a, a word a day. But life would be short too. If God were not graciously patient, all we deserve to hear is cut it down. But amazingly, we read great passages like Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in love. His patience means that he sets in motion this plan of salvation. So in 2 Peter he says, The Lord is not slow as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. As you read through the scriptures from Genesis 3 onwards, as God marches through the Bible, as he approaches us in history, it is as though his patience is standing one step ahead of his wrath. He gives us, if you like, this opportunity for salvation. He gives you a doorway into grace, a window into mercy that you do not deserve. But here's the warning of the Acts. Here's the warning of one more year. His patience is not eternal. His patience will not last forever. There will come a day where that opportunity is finished, where that door is closed, where that window is shut. See, it's the warning of the Acts. If you turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, just back a few chapters. This warning has already been sounding through Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 3, verse 8, we hear John the Baptist. Chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the roots of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Do you see the warning? His patience is not eternal. The, the bite that comes for us is that who is John the Baptist speaking to? He's speaking to people who claim to be children of Abraham. Who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to Israel, God's people. He is speaking about God's vineyard within his church. There are barren fig trees. It is from within his own people that there is a lack of fruit. It's to us that this warning of the axe comes. It is to us that Jesus' words echo down through the ages saying, One more year. His patience is not eternal. Some of us may be in church this morning thinking that by virtue of being here, we're going to avoid the axe. That maybe if we hide amongst fruitful trees, that will conceal our fruitfulness. Don't think that you can hide from God in his own house. God will come. God does see. And he does know. And he expects much. The fruit he's speaking about is repentance that echoes from John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 and if you look at verses 1 to 5 of chapter 13 what has Jesus been saying repent or you likewise shall perish repent or you likewise shall perish when God comes to you does he find a barren fig tree does he find fruit 
or no fruit, good fruit or bad fruit, repentance or rebellion, a life turned to God from sin or a life turned from God to sin. He knows. He sees. He comes to this victory and he says, look, three years I've been coming. What does he say about you? 17 years you've been coming to this church. 20 years you've sat in that same pew. You sat in my house, preacher after preacher, sermon after sermon, house group after house group, friend after friend, warning after warning, and still no fruit, no repentance. One more year. His patience is not eternal. Let me sharpen this axe a little bit, push some application and the way we sometimes abuse his patience or misunderstand it. Three quick things. Uh, Don't presume on his patience. Don't abuse his patience. Don't procrastinate because of his patience. Don't presume his patience. You, You and I do not deserve his patience for another second. I don't deserve to finish this sentence. If I do it, it is a sign of God's patience towards me. I'm living on borrowed time, grace time. Although God sometimes does delay his punishment, his wrath, there are some evidences in Scripture where he doesn't, which means his patience cannot be presumed. Luke, the writer of this gospel, will write a sequel called the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, you get the story of Ananias and Sapphira, members of God's church. They lie, and immediately they die. His patience is not shown. His wrath is not deferred, but instant punishment for sin. Remember the story of King Herod in Acts chapter 12? He makes a speech. His heart gets proud. He does not give glory to God. What happens? Immediately he is struck down. No patience shown. No wrath deferred but instant punishment for sin. See, we cannot presume on God's patience. I don't deserve it for another second. We don't know if we will get one more year. And here's the bite as well, because the day of God's patience does not always end with someone's death. The door might be closed for some before God even takes them out of the world. God may harden hearts. He may hand people over to sin. Let me read you from Hebrews chapter 12. Tragically, we read of Esau. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. See, the door for him was closed before the day of his death. God's patience had been removed. See, don't play around with little sins now. Don't flirt with sin thinking you can enjoy it now and it will be harmless. It may lead to a hardening of your heart. 
It may lead to God handing you over to your sin so that later, even when you desire the blessing of glory, it's rejected of you, even though you may seek it with tears. Don't presume on one more year. Now is the time to repent. Second, don't abuse his patience. Our sinful hearts are capable of misinterpreting God's patience. Uh, just as we can treat his grace as a license, sometimes we can treat his patience as uh, permission for sin. Uh, but please, uh, do not think that God's patience means consent to your sin. Don't think that his patience means, oh, you can continue enjoying sin. Or maybe even that you can kind of go on to progressively worse sin. Uh, we need to be aware of thought processes, thought processes that say, well, I got away with that. Maybe I can get away with this. Or, I haven't been caught yet. Maybe I won't get caught. Or maybe I, I got away with this little thing. Maybe I can push the boundaries a little further. Romans 2 says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. See, his patience is not an opportunity for more of the same. It's an opportunity for life change, to repent. Don't abuse his patience. Lastly, don't procrastinate because of his patience. Procrastination is always a dangerous game. Um, but you don't know when God's kindness will be removed. We read of in chapter uh, 13, verse 1 to 5, these two events my guess is when the people left their house that morning, they did not know that they were going to be a victim of a terrorist attack. My guess is that when these people kissed their husband or wife and kids goodbye that morning, they didn't know the Tower of Siloam was going to fall on them. I don't know if you heard the story of a 19-year-old called Edward Heal on Christmas Day. Edward was 19, and he was due to go on his first tour of duty to Afghanistan in March. And Edward's mother was uh, petrified of her son going on duty. And he always comforted his mother by saying, Mom, there is more chance of me getting hit by a car than me dying on duty. But in the early hours of Christmas morning, Edward was hit by a car and killed whilst at home with his mom. See, we don't know when our year will be up. We can't use his patience as an excuse for procrastination. Please don't play games with your eternal soul. Now is the time to repent. The procrastinator will die in their sins and be lost forever. What if this year is your last? The way society deals with that is, oh, I'll make up my bucket list and I'll live the high life. Only if your bucket list has the top three things as repent, repent, repent. Don't presume on his patience. Don't procrastinate. And don't abuse. See, I've spent more time on the warning of this parable because I think that is the way that this parable is weighted. It is weighted towards a conclusion that is not positive. John the Baptist has already told us the axe is already at the root of the trees. 
Uh, Jesus will go on in chapter 20 of Luke's gospel to tell another parable about vineyards. And again, his conclusion is not favorable. In chapter 20, Jesus will make the conclusion, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. See, this is not an empty threat. This is not a dummy axe. One more year. One more year. Maybe this morning you merit that title, Baron Fig Tree. Maybe it's you. Uh, maybe, maybe there is an acknowledgement that there is sin. Maybe there is even a confession that you are a sinner. But although you know your sin, the problem is actually you love your sin. You're too in love with your lusts to turn to God. You're too in love with your materialism to turn to God. You're too in love with uh, that harbored bitterness to turn to God. You idolize your family too much to turn to God. You crave the acceptance of the world too much to turn to God. Maybe the issue is like you're like Demas, too in love with the world, which means that you're going to forsake Christ. Maybe like Judas, your eyes are on a purse full of money rather than a heart full of Jesus. Maybe like Esau, just for one fix, you'll forego the blessing of eternity. Is there any hope for someone like you? Or is there only the axe? Well, here's, here's a glimpse of hope in this parable. That in those three words, one more year is not only a seriously strong warning, but also a glorious glimmer of hope. There is hope of a fruit basket. Look at verse 8. Here this man comes. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. See, the parable not only dramatizes a warning, but it dramatizes real hope. Even for a fig tree that has a history of only sterility, even for a fig tree that has a past only of fruitlessness, even for a fig tree that deserves only the axe, there is still the hope of fruit. One more year. Give me one more year. Put that in human terms. Even for me, even for you, with a history of sin, a history of addiction, even for you with a present sinfulness, there is hope for change. In these words, one more year. And you see that the hope comes not from the fig tree itself. It's not that the fig tree just kind of tries a little bit harder. Where does the hope come from? This man who comes from without and says, leave it alone one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. And then we'll see. It doesn't come from within ourselves. I know from experience that if it was up for me to repent, I love my sin too much. It comes from without. Quite a lot of commentators will picture this man as the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read you from John Bunyan. If you don't love Bunyan, you should. Uh, author of Pilgrim's Progress. Here Bunyan says, Here is astounding grace indeed that the Lord Jesus should concern himself with a barren fig tree, that he should step in to stop the blow for a barren fig tree, 
barren fig tree, it is well for thee that there is a Jesus at God's right hand, a Jesus of that largeness of bowels. I think we would say largeness of heart. Uh, A Jesus of that largeness of bowels as to have compassion for a barren fig tree. Where's your hope for change? Where is repentance going to come through from sin to fruit? It is going to come from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who steps in, takes the blow for the barren fig tree, pleads its patience, and digs around it. NIV says fertilizes it. ESV says manure. The King James says dungs it. Here is Jesus who steps in and he dungs it. He applies the gospel to the roots of this barren fig tree. It is him who steps in, pleading your patience before God the Father and granting the hope of one more year that there might not be the axe, but a full basket of fruits. He fertilizes you. He dungs you with the gospel. That was the gospel that was set in motion right from Adam and Eve in Eden. From the moment of their fruitless rebellion, God applies his gracious patience. He supplied his promise of salvation, that for even a barren fig tree, there would come a savior. There would become one who would be cut down in their place, who would step in to take the blow, who would die, fall into the ground, that they might bear much fruit. We read Psalm 1 earlier. Here is the Jesus who would die on the cross in thirst, that they might live by streams of living water. He would die for their lack of fruit that they might yield much fruit. His leaf would wither that theirs might never. He would be blown away that they might endure. He would fall in the judgment that they would stand. He would die a sinner that they would stand in the assembly of the righteous. He would perish that the Lord might watch over their way. Where is the hope for you as a barren fig tree? What is going to remove the axe and put in its place a basket of the fruit of repentance? The person of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes in and applies the gospel to the roots of your soul. Bunyan writes, as only you can in the 17th century, O barren fig tree, suck in the gospel dung. (laughs) Hear that? Suck it in. Here's Jesus who comes and to your sinfulness, he applies the gospel of life change. It is not self-help. It is not a New Year's resolution. It is the Lord Jesus Christ coming from out with you who will die on the cross to take the punishment for your sins, but also to break the, the, uh, the power of that sin, breaking your roots with the world, breaking the roots of your lusts, and the powers of your addiction that you might change. It is the gospel alone that can apply this power that can bring that motive to bring you to repentance. Repentance in 2012 is going to look like a billion little choices for you. A billion choices. Maybe a million choices every day. It's not a one-off. To God's people, he says, okay, every choice is either going to be determined by a movement towards an axe or a movement towards gospel fruits. And what is going to be the determining factor between these two things? 
It's going to be as Bunyan says, sucking up the gospel dung. Having Jesus apply that gospel of hope to your life. See, those billion little choices may be whether or not you follow that train of thought or not. Whether or not you indulge in that fantasy. Whether or not you close that door for privacy. Whether or not you click that mouse. Whether or not you make that payment. Whether or not you tell that lie or harbor that bitterness. Billions of little choices that are all opportunities for repentance that will be determined by sucking in the gospel dung. A movement towards an axe or through the Lord Jesus Christ breaking the penalty and the power of sin, moving towards real change, a change towards the fruit of repentance. It might start for you today with conversation with your wife a confession to your kids, maybe throwing out the TV or cutting up a credit card, getting an accountability partner, starting the Bible in a year. Ways in which you can suck up this gospel dung, as Bunyan says, and move towards repentance. See, what sweet hope there is for you in 2012. One more year. Will it lead to an axe or great gospel fruits? It's the gospel of Christ that will make the difference. Two final applications to us corporately as Charlotte Chapel. We thought that this is applied to Israel. This is to God's people as a whole. How does this parable impact us as a body of believers? Well, it does mean that we need to cultivate this kind of environment of repentance and forgiveness so that we're not a community of bitterness or harbored anger or backstabbing or gossip. But actually, we're characterized corporately by confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Uh, I think it also will impact our evangelism. See, this one more year, it means that today is an opportunity for us to proclaim Christ. Uh, The city of Edinburgh has a limited time. God's patience is not eternal. And it may be that Jesus uses us as his means to dung people. Maybe you are the ones to fertilize the soil of your parents your friends, your family. That Jesus is going to use you as the one who's going to dung them with the gospel. Because there may only be one more year. We can't procrastinate in our evangelism. We need to be getting on with this. Charlotte Chapel, we must not be a barren fig tree. Moving to a new building is pointless if we're going to be a barren fig tree in Chandwick Place. Church planting is pointless if we're one barren fig tree planting another barren fig tree. That's not worth giving your money to. That's not worth sweating for. We want to be fruitful fig trees here, wherever we are, individually and corporately. Hear the warning, but hear the hope. One more year. 
Let's pray.